Bandwidth for this week in photography is brought to you by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This Week in Photography is sponsored by Audible. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip for a free downloadable book. This week on Twip, the inmates are running the asylum. Adobe teases us with CS4. We take our best shot at a ton of your listener questions. Hey, everybody, and welcome to This Week in Photography. As you've probably already noticed, the voice you're hearing is neither Alex nor Scott. Scott is either chasing after or being chased by the wild grizzlies uh, somewhere in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> Alaska. And we all cannot wait to hear the stories he's going to bring back from that trip. And Alex is off on yet another international jaunt. Uh, I think he made his way across a good swath of Europe. And the last I heard, he was he was actually down in Africa. He had almost thought he was going to be able to join us, but obviously bandwidth uh, didn't seem to work. So, with your uh, two normal hosts both, both away, I'd say the, the inmates have taken over the asylum. I'm Ron Brinkman, and joining me today we have, uh, after a long absence, Mr. Frederick Johnson from Adobe. Hello, it is good to be back. And you are back home now? I am, I am back. I just got back yesterday from the Photoshop World Expo in Vegas at the beautiful Mandalay Bay. Got lots of stories to tell about that. We will definitely go into that. And uh, also joining us uh, in front of the microphone or behind the microphone or however it works for microphones. I guess it's different from film. Uh, we have uh, Aaron Mailer, our producer extraordinaire. Hey, guys. I'm here. Very my, good. my microphone's a headset, so I don't know. I guess I'm behind it. I'm in it. I'm not sure which. <laughs> and and Steve Simon was also not able to join us today. He was another one that was a possible one, but uh, he is back on his way from the uh, Republican National Convention, and, and hopefully we'll get a few more stories from him. For those of you that didn't hear last week's episode, he talked about the DNC and shooting there, and uh, then he went off and did the other, the other side of the fence, so I'm sure he's got a few interesting tales to tell. So that should be good. But let's uh, go ahead and dive right into it. Um, I guess the first thing to talk about is our linking contest is ongoing. And this is, uh, this is a sweet little deal. Everybody should take advantage of this. Um, it's a, a bunch of stuff we're giving away. A nice big package that's worth more than $700. Includes uh, a copy of Adobe, Light- Adobe Lightroom, courtesy of uh, Frederick and Adobe. A copy of Aperture, VMware Fusion, a um, pair of JBL reference 220 earphones, an Adobe ball cap, a couple of uh, Scott's books, uh, on one software essentials, uh, even a small Canon camera gadget bag, uh, mat, and a Rhino skin iPod case. So a bunch of good stuff. And all you have to do is make a link, link to twipphoto.com. And, uh, you know, if you've got a blog, you can do a link. Uh, it's not much, not, not, a, not a whole lot to do. And a nice big win that you can get out of that. So everybody should go do that. And, and if you want to do more than just put a link, we certainly won't complain if you actually tell people why they should come visit twipphoto.com <laughs> or, uh, or listen to the podcast for that matter. So good. Shall we dive into it then, gentlemen? Let's go. go. All right. Very good. Going to the news then. First of all, uh, Canon post teasers. I don't know if this is even news yet. It's more of just a, a little tease by Canon 
that's suggesting there's a new uh, SLR coming out, and I don't think anybody is uh, too surprised that something is coming with, with Photokina heading heading our way. Um, you guys have seen this little thing, right? Yep. Yeah, the, the teaser, I, the image. You know, Go ahead, Fred. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I have not seen it, but just, just on that topic, you know, people have been buzzing and have been waiting for Canon to, to sort of throw their cards down in the space for a while. But it's kind of interesting that they're, they're teasing people that have been teasing each other about that, the, the fact that there's a new SLR. So basically, they're just legitimizing the fact that, yeah, we know something needs to come. It's going to come soon. Stand by. The, yep. the teasers have a – the image in the teaser is the, is the very top part of a DSLR body, um, you know, where usually a pop-up flash would be on, like, the 30 and the 40 and the 50D. And this does not have the pop-up yep. flash. So that's suggesting either another 1DS series or the most likely thing, kind of what the conventional wisdom is, is that we're finally going to see the new 5D successor or the new generation, yep. the Mark D as it, or Mark II as everybody's calling it. Right. What do you guys think are the main pieces that are going to be in that, or the main enhancements behind, beyond the, the 5D other than a better sensor and more megapixels? Uh, well, the, the big rumor is that there will also be some kind of video capability similar to what the uh, Nikon HDMI uh, output. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you cool. know, it's an uh, interesting placement because the, you know, the, the uh, Nikon is a reasonably inexpensive camera it's in this thousand dollar range whereas the 5d has always been a few thousand dollars so they're not going to compete head on head uh you know i i i wonder if canon is going to have a big advantage uh, having done a lot more in the video world than nikon has very true yeah so but uh, it's all speculation at this point and regardless it's all good for photographers in the end you know i love i love love competition love it uh, and then uh, Sony has uh, also sort of uh, talked about some stuff. I haven't seen it shipping yet, but the new full frame has been revealed in print ads. Apparently they're doing the official unveiling this coming week, but the A900 uh, has some specs that indicate that it's a full frame digital SLR. Um, it's called the Alpha 900. Uh, 24.6 megapixels, so that's uh, more than a few pixels. Nine-point autofocus, uh, five frame per second shooting rate. You know, I, I, the big news is is the size of the of the sensor being full frame and uh, the fact that it's apparently got a whole lot of pixels crammed onto it. Yeah. So CMOS, uh, we'll see. I mean, you know, it's Sony is is sort of at least in the most phot- photographers' minds, I think, always the kind of third place these days but uh, there's nothing to say they can't step up and produce something that's really going to change the game a little bit too so did, i'm looking forward to it out did sony buy you know. is it minolta or pentax's mount i believe i mean the the lens mount is that what it's the standard is for that for for people with existing lenses yeah i th- there yes it was and i don't remember which one it is but uh it's it's not the um I think it was Minolta, but mm-hmm. yeah. So there is a, a bit of history and some glass that you can get that's been around for a while. Right, it's not all but, proprietary or anything. I mean, right, but that is, you know, that is part of the uh, the ramp that they've got to deal with. Is how do you you know you come up with a new system and everybody else has already got lenses going back. It's very hard to get people to switch over to a new system when you know they've they've got lenses from some other some other format. So the next one, I know that one of our guests can talk about this quite a bit, Adobe to unveil CS4. Fred, tell us something. Uh, yeah, finally, you know, we can we can 
put a give an answer to the the question that a lot of people have been asking me. You know, when when is this CS4 thing, or when is this next version of uh, the Creative Suite and or Photoshop going to show up? And the official date that uh, our our senior vice president of the uh, the digital imaging group at Adobe gave at Photoshop World a couple days ago is September twenty third. So September twenty third is the unveiling of what all the what all the pixel pushing goodness is going to be in the in the new suite. Um, and uh, basically, what the deal is, you can head over to Adobe.com to sign up to view the special web broadcast that uh, we're going to do on that day that will show all the ins and outs of the new features in the suite. Some pretty amazing stuff. And at Photoshop World, they gave a, a sneak peek at a couple of the new features in there. There's some, there's some pretty, uh, oh my God, I didn't know that, uh, that we could do that with photographs type uh, type features in the application to include things like being able to scale you know like right now when you when you uh, when you transform an image you hit command T or you know image adjust transform and you you scale it up or down and you don't constrain your aspect ratio you distort things yep, yep. Um, well in the in the new version uh, there's a feature in there that will allow you to um, it's smart enough to know what your subject is and not distort your subject, but allow you to scale everything else. So, you know, things things like that are in the application as well. <laughs> it's magical. I swear, when you see it, is you're that like the, uh, the the sort of slicing stuff where it kind of takes unimportant pieces of the image out. You got it. Yeah. yeah. When you're compressing yeah. down, it takes unimportant. It's kind of like it's kind of like MP3. You know, when you when you compress an MP3 file, it's basically throwing out pieces of the audio that you th that it thinks your ear won't notice. Yep. And it's the same thing with this. So it's uh, it's pretty it's pretty amazing the way it works. Yeah, this is you pretty know, neat then, stuff. It was uh, I, there was a presentation on this at uh, the computer SIGGRAPH computer graphics conference last year, I think it was, and uh, it's very cool. It, it's it's hard to sort of describe, but basically, you know, if you've got your your foreground person is, is is standing in the scene, and there's a lot of trees to either side. Uh, it's much easier to sort of scale and drop out pixels from the the side and not affect the the subject of the photo, and still you get a smaller image where the framing has changed quite a bit. Wow. Yeah. MP3s. And, are, and then one of the other. Th I was just going to say MP3s are based on what they call a psychoacoustical model of the ear. So is this a like a psychovisual model of the eye? I mean, <laughs> how are they approaching it? Similar. <laughs> well, I'm I'm not an engineer. I, all I can say is when I use it, it works. So, <laughs> you know, it's it's a very similar model to I'm told as what you're describing, the psychoacoustical model where it's it's basically tossing out things that are less important or in in Brinkman speak, areas of the image of uh lower energy and uh paying more attention to things that are higher energy. So as you scale, you know, you have the effect of when you're scaling down Things that are, that appear to be more important are maintained, where things that don't appear to be important are then compressed. Very so, cool. Good. So pretty I, interesting. Is that all? Is that part of uh, Photokina? Is it going to be announced at Photokina, or is it? Um, September twenty third is the unveiling. I can't tell you where or when or how, but you can log in. You know, head over to Adobe.com and sign up for that for that that web broadcast and they, I think they're going to step through everything. They've built a pretty comprehensive experience that'll well, you'll, reveal you'll, all the little ins and outs. You'll be on the hook for giving us some more updates once that actually is announced. Oh, uh, totally. Here's another little piece of news. The ATP Photo Finder Mini Geotagger that doesn't require software. This was uh, something that showed up on Engadget and I guess you came across it, uh, Aaron. you want to touch on that real yeah, quick? Yeah, I, I picked it up in our TWIP Ideas uh, 
area on uh, on Delicious, which, by the way, everybody check the blog for the instructions on how to use Delicious because it's one of the best ways to submit stories for us to consider an inclusion in the show. Um, in a nutshell, uh, this is another geotagging device. You've heard us talk about that a lot on here. Uh, so it's actually a, a two-piece system, though. Uh, usually what you're dealing with is just a little you know, little handheld GPS data logger that records you know, the data points where you are at that moment and with a timestamp in it. And this includes that as well, but it also has a little base station unit that that meshes with, and you also plug in the card from your camera, and it goes and populates the geotagging fields um, location fields in the image while it's still on your card. Normally, you download your images from your camera, and then you run separate software, and there's a bunch of different packages to choose from to do that correlation. This attempts to do that correlation completely outside before you ever even hit your desktop. So it's an interesting little point in the, in the workflow um, in, in automating that process, and it, I think it's yeah, no, it's, pretty because it's currently device. kind of a yeah, currently it's kind of a pain in the butt to do it. You got to go through several different steps, and I know you've mm-hmm. you've dealt with geotagging a, a, a fair bit, Aaron. I don't, mm-hmm. Frederick, have you ever done much of this or? Not a whole lot, no. You know, I've uh, you know, no, no, I haven't had a whole lot of experience it, with that. Yeah, reading, it, reading up on it. Yeah, it kind of you know, it it, it it does need to get easier. I mean, the the, the obvious place where this is all going is it's just going to be in the camera and you're not right. going to think about it but it's not there yeah. yet a lot of you know even a lot of these higher end cameras still don't have any kind of gps in there and you know, they're still going to be taking a hit for it in terms of battery life so it still makes sense to look at these i had uh, the the a mod mm-hmm. uh geotagger for a while until i pulled an alex and left it in my rental car in the <laughs> south of france <laughs> so well, somewhere I'll- in there it's still driving around gathering data hopefully but uh, since it's been a few months, I suspect the batteries have died. It would, anyway. it would be great if it had the ability to phone home and tell you yeah, where it is. Sure you go pick it up. It <laughs> but anyway, no, it, it's it's fun stuff, and um, I, I do like having geotag data. So it sounds like this this makes it a little bit easier, and that's only a good thing. Let's I talk. Did, about- I did play with one of the run. I did play with the uh, one of the the new Nikon point and shoots that has the. Uh, the GPS built into it and did a couple of shots with that. And it, you know, the, the, it's interesting in, in how you, it, if, as long as it's not in your way and you can go out and take pictures and just when you get back, you automatically have that lat long data and the metadata, you know, so you don't have to do anything or jump through any hoops. Then it becomes like, oh, wow, this is really cool. I can see exactly when, where, and how. I made this photograph. Yeah, I think you know, it's, but you know, I think for the short term, it's going to be something where it's going to be a little nice extra that you may or may not, you know, get use out of. Because I mean, you know, these this geo tracking doesn't work all that great. I mean, GPS, you know, it has problems if you're in the middle of a city with big buildings around you. Obviously, if you're deep in a cave, it's not going to buy you much. So, you know, there's a lot of times where you don't get a good lock on, and and there's a there's a latency where it takes time to lock lock onto the satellites as well so it's not a perfect yeah. solution yet but you know it's, it's yeah. a nice little bit of extra information i, I kind of look at it as one of the better solutions is one of the better solutions is in the in the iphone right because iphone has that both that hybrid gps where it triangulates based on the the wi-fi nodes that you're near or if you're outside it'll the iPhone, uh, the 3G at least, will look at the satellites. And when you take a photo, if you've enabled the, you know, the feature in the, in the uh, preferences to be location aware, it will embed that data in those photographs. So, yep. yeah. and that's that's brain dead simple. So, but yeah, called really a good. GPS. It's actually a standard assisted GPS. It's a, it's a mix, uh, mixing uh, of GPS it, data with other cell tower and or Wi-Fi data. Perfect. Cool. Good. Uh, moving on, Canon Loyalty Program. This is just something that came up, I guess, sort of in conversation, but uh, there is a program with Canon 
where if something happens to your, your camera, even if it's out of warranty and it's uh, non-repairable, you can use it for trade-in on, on refurbished stuff. And uh, did, Aaron, were you the ones that, that came across this? Uh, again, it was another TWIP idea submission. Apparently, and the link we'll have in the show notes, is actually a little article. In fact, that title, Canon Loyalty Program Has Its Privileges, is actually David Pogue's entry on New York Times. And he talks about uh, if you've got a, you know, an older model that cannot be repaired, you can trade it in for refurb and get a pretty good discount. So he's listing things here like a PowerShot G9 for uh, $250, a refurbished Rebel XT with a lens kit for $275. I mean, this is all, you know, again, based on trading in your, your broken and it's point re- and shoot. Yeah, and it's, so. re- it's refurb stuff. You get yeah. it. It's not yeah. new stuff, but you get a refurb. So it's worth looking into. We'll, we'll get a little more information on that. I certainly, you know, I like those little digital elves, but everybody I know that has had those, at some point the lens stops going in and out. It seems to be a consistent problem with them. And I have to tell my mom so. with her PowerShot G1 that she dropped into a large tub of barbecue sauce at a, uh, <laughs> at a cover dish, uh, you know, like a couple of years ago. Later. So. Good. <laughs> All right, and then one little quick note here: light panels to be acquired by the Vitek Group. Uh, we've we've discussed light panels before. It's more of a video thing, but this the sense of these really big uh, LED arrays that you can control to do studio lighting, and I I think you're going to see a lot more of this in in studios. And so they are they've been acquired by a larger company. Hopefully, that just means that there'll be more cool stuff coming. Hey, Ron, is that the same company that that makes the smaller ones? Because I saw a bunch of people yesterday. In fact, running around Photoshop world doing video interviews, and instead of having the big hot light, uh, they had these little LED arrays attached to the hot shoe on their on the video cameras. Is it the same same company? I I believe it sure. is. I believe it is. I think from it what is. I've, seen. Yeah. I've, I've seen those too. It's 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 kind of funky looking. It's about a I don't know six inch square kind of thing. Yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. It's yep. at the top of your SLR. Uh, gives you a nice uniform light. Uh, you know, if you got it mounted on your SLR, you've still got the same problem that it's uh, kind of in line with your with your camera, and and you may not get the most flattering sort of lighting. But presumably, you can also take it off off the shoe with an extension cord. So yeah, I yep. think it's the same the same thing, and uh, it's 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 a lot nicer doing that because you sort of see what your lighting scenario is as opposed to flash where you know you, you have to look at the result to really understand what you've gotten. Mm-hmm. So I like the concept of doing something like that. Let's yeah. see. Site of the week. This is a real quick one that I came across. Uh, I, uh, I said Twitter listener sent it to me, uh, Master's App. And uh, it is now I, I I don't know if I can pronounce it. <laughs> hey, you practiced for the show and it sounded I, I good. My <laughs> perfect Russian accent, Rokrudin Gorsky, a uh, mm-hmm. photographer to the star, no photographer to the czar, back in uh, turn. <laughs> oh <Denver>. no! <laughs> the interesting thing about this, we'll put we'll put it in the show notes. But the interesting thing about this thing is, this guy back in uh, early 1900s was actually shooting color film uh and he did it by by really shooting three exposures with uh different filters over the over the lens and then would combine them later by projecting them through three equivalent color filters so he had three projectors that he would line up and would project them to get uh, a color slideshow uh this is long before they figured out that you could put multiple color emulsion layers on a piece of negative film and do that so it's pretty cool stuff it's off of the um uh, Library of Congress website. We'll put a link uh, link in the show notes for that. That's cool. 
yeah, it's neat stuff. Hey guys, I got to ask while we're talking here. I, I got a nice little box in the mail this week from from Scott Bourne that had my my twip hat and Scotty vest in it. I got to say, yeah, there's some nice pretty awesome stuff. threads. I have to say. Yep. I did. You uh, know what? Uh, I think I think Mr. Bourne may be punishing me for not being on the show because there's no box that I could see sitting at my house anywhere. You no, know, they're really, really nice. Friends. Yep. Uh, They've got more yeah. little pockets on them than I've actually even found. I know there's more I haven't found yet and going through it. And they're, they're all full of these little cards to tell you what that pocket's for when you open it up. Yeah. <laughs> can yeah. I can I buy one? Hey, can can I get some love here? Actually, it's a know? good question. I don't I don't know if the uh, the vests are still available on the website or not. Scott will probably give you his complete with the bear tooth holes in it when he brings it back from Alaska. So <laughs> large rip out of the back of it. Oh, All right, great. Couple of rumors. Let's uh, let's knock these off real quick. Uh, Nikon. I don't know how how reliable this one is, but uh, somebody on Gizmodo saw something on some Japanese website somewhere, and it may just be a mistranslation. But the rumor is that there's a 41 megapixel uh, MX format sensor that Nikon is working on. Uh, you know, so the medium format sensor and and you know whether Nikon is going to move into that. It wouldn't be totally surprising that Nikon would want to extend their range and move into medium format. Uh, did you guys see any of this? Or? No, I haven't seen any of it. And you, you and I talked about this a little bit earlier, you know, um, and you, you clarified that this is probably a, uh, a medium format or large format camera, not an SLR. Because, you know, my, my thinking is, and Scott and I have, have bantered about this before, you know, the virtues of having more megapixels versus a better sensor, you know, and I, I still fall on the side of give me a better sensor and fewer megapixels. Uh, and, but you know, this is, I think we all kind yeah, of fall. It, yeah. Yeah, if this is if this is the big, you know, you're taking pictures of glistening fruit, you know, for for those those studio and food photographers, so they have the most megapixels available to do their thing with, you know, I'm, then I'm all for it. Yeah, or some, you know, fashion photography. My personal theory on fashion photography is that they require. Uh, really large resolution stuff to start with is because they do so much in post in Photoshop, uh, including you know little localized warping and all that, that if you don't have a lot of resolution to start with, then it starts to get soft because you're tweaking it so much. So. Yeah, but can you camera. imagine that that photo shoot with a 41 megapixel camera when you're like, yeah, give me more love, click. Yeah, purse your lips, click. And and you're writing 41 megapixels each time. You know, yeah. where where can you yeah, what kind of throughput do you need for that? Well, that, that's just it. That's why this some of this stuff is so hard is it's not, you know, it's not making necessarily just making a sensor that has that many pixels on it. It's it's the bandwidth of then getting that yeah. to a card in a timely fashion. You know, you don't want to have to wait 30 seconds uh, between every Every time you push the shutter to get it written to the card and the buffer cleared out, so so right, the, right. the shot with the extra hand and the dislocated leg on Photoshop disasters can be you know all that much higher yeah. resolution. Now. <laughs> I love Photoshop. That was our pick of the week or side of the week a while back, and it's still it, for anybody that didn't didn't start following Photoshop disasters, go back and you know, go, Google that one and look it up because there's some great stuff in there. There was uh, the one that just came by through yesterday was. Uh, was it Miley Cyrus uh, yeah. was standing next to some guy? Leg. 
Oh, yeah, that's the extra or, hand, yeah. That's the extra hand. If you count the number of hands, it's like one on her shoulder and two around the waist, and uh, it doesn't add up. <laughs> uh, hey, guys, speaking speaking of high-resolution images, uh, sort of jumping back to what we are talking about in CS4, or C- the next version of CS, the Creative Suite, uh, one of the features is it will support ultra-high-resolution, i.e. multi-gigabyte stitches, gigantic images. In fact, the Johnny Lyocano, the, the senior VP... Uh, showed this gigantic image of the Adobe HQ downtown, uh, just sort of a, a, an overview of the building, and then you zoomed in on one window of the building, and you're able to see into the building. It, and it's you know zooming wow. real time. It's not like it's got a crunch or anything. It's uploading things to the uh, to the video card in the computer. All right, we want it. The gigapixel panels, <laughs> as they call them. Yeah. Yeah, 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 or just ultra high resolution images, being able to ma- manipulate them and throw them around the screen as if they were like you know 100K, yeah, wow. because it's it's offloading all that hard work to the video processor now. Cool. Uh, one I more. thought about you, Ron, specifically when I, I saw that. I was like, no, Brinkman is going to need this. You need it. You, <laughs> you need got it. willing beta testers up. right here now. You know, so <laughs> just. good. One one more little quick rumor from Red, uh, the Red camera guys who are in the video world, but we I think we've talked about them on this show as well. Uh, there is uh, hints that they may be adapting their very large format sensor that's normally used to shoot video, uh, high end video, you know, film kind of video. Uh, they may be adopting that into a DSLR body as well, which which kind of makes sense. And you know, it goes to what we've all been sort of saying that clearly the capabilities of the two different worlds are overlap quite a bit. And you know, you see it with the 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 new Nikon uh, D90 and uh, potentially with the new Canons, and the, you know, seeing crossover in both directions the is not that, at all. Un- the other thing there is Red's a game changer in the in the video market. So you know, if we're looking for that upstart game changer in the DSLR market, they may be one of them to, to consider. Yeah, although yeah. you know they, they they're a game changer because they they came in relative to extremely expensive cameras from uh, you know people that were they were shooting film. So you know the the digital film cameras were in the fifty to a hundred to two hundred thousand kind of a range. So you know when when Red came in at the twenty thousand dollar range, clearly that made a difference. But you know if you're talking DSLRs, that's that's a whole different price point and so they're going to have to be pushing downward in price whereas we've got you know Nikon can be pushing upwards into their market so I think it's a different game and they may still be able to change it but it's not the same sort of game changing that they got into Anyway, you think, you think the guys would like it, the red guys? And I haven't read this ar- this this article in depth, but would it be a body where you can you can buy Canon or Nikon lenses or you know Tamron lenses or whatever and attach it to this body, or do you think well, they're going to go holistic and have red lenses as well? What they've done in the film world is that they have they offer their own lenses, but they also do offer adapters to uh, like Panavision lenses. So yeah, if they're smart and they are smart, you know, I would suspect that they will offer adapters to existing lens sets as well. But awesome. hard to say. You know, the the thing I find very cool about them is that they are they're a small company, so they're very flexible. I suspect this may be the thing I've been asking for, which is sort of a very open camera body, you know, a very open DSLR platform where you may be able to get in and hack the software a little bit and modify it a little bit more than you can with your Canons and your Nikons. And for me, that would be the game game changer. Mm -hmm. 
this move reminds me of it reminds me a lot of Apple jumping into the mobile phone market you yep. know with the, with the old staid players that have been there forever not really doing a whole lot of radical innovation and then you have this new guy jumping in there that says you know let's erase the chalkboard and redefine the space you yeah, know, no, and you need to have that that's the only way this stuff happens because everybody just gets you know fat and comfortable otherwise so yeah. Are there cool. licensing issues when it comes to, to lens mounts? I mean, you, you know, I know other companies make make lenses for different bodies, but you know, is the reverse true? Can you put a, a Canon mount on your DSLR body without Canon's blessings? I don't. Yeah. I actually don't know the answer to that. It's an interesting. Neither question. do I. I think that'd be a question for the Tamron guys or mm-hmm. Tamrac or who who is it? Who, who are the third party lenses? Sigma, Sigma, Sigma makes. Tamron. Yeah, I mean they definitely do, but they may be licensing the ability to do that. I don't know. And lenses, yeah. I can yeah. see, but bodies would be a whole different, you know, whole yeah. different approach. True. Yeah, true. true. Let's talk about the TWIP photo assignment. Uh, this is our, our ongoing thing. We, we, we switched over from being sort of a, a contest, and we're actually calling it an assignment now. The reason being that, you know, we, we didn't want to focus on it being uh, just about the, the, the winner so much as we wanted to just get people out there shooting on stuff. And then we also, since we are now hosting this uh, on, on Fotrade, uh, that gives us the ability to have you, the listeners, vote on this as opposed to, you know, us trying to pick something. And there was always plenty of discussion uh, between all of us over which one we liked. And usually Scott just went ahead and arbitrarily overruled all of us and picked it. So now it's been, <laughs> now it's been democratized a little bit more. And we've got uh, you, the listeners, voting on it. And uh, the theme of this week's challenge assignment was Circles. And it looks like the uh, the winner of that is a wonderful umbrellas picture by a guy, James Press. And a uh, very nice, colorful photo that has a whole lot of umbrellas uh, making all the circles in there. The runner-up from Jeff Hauser, who I happen to know, actually. But since this is a completely democratic process, uh, there's, there's no conflict of interest here. Mm-hmm. And uh, he did a very cool photo that I can't even quite tell what it's of. And he also didn't give it a title other than JFH1345. But <laughs> version he still two. got, uh, yes, exactly, <laughs> version two. He still, he still managed to make runner-up there. So congratulations on that, everybody. Uh, take a look at that. And we will be doing another poll, I mean, rather, another assignment. Um, at least we think we're allowed to do this. We're kind of winging this whole show, if you haven't, yeah. uh, <laughs> haven't figured it out with uh, Scott out of, out of the loop. But we're going to go ahead and uh, take take the ball into our own hands and give out an assignment for the next topic. And we kind of chatted a bit before the show, and we decided that we would go with DK, something uh, something nice and ugly for a change. Yeah, not the letters D and K, but D E C A Y decay. <laughs> exactly. We, we kind of circled around this one, and we you know urban decay had been uh, on on a, a list of possible ones for a while, and. Uh, I personally kind of enjoy the urban decay photography, but really we wanted to uh, make it even broader than that. So it doesn't have to be urban decay. It can be, you know, that fruit bowl decaying uh, or anything else. Uh, I, hopefully we don't see too many decaying corpses in uh, the submissions, but... Uh, <laughs> is something to do with the, the decay of modern civilization or, you know, the, the decay decay of, of politics in our culture or something like that? Yes, it's nice and broad, and that really the kind of point of all this is uh, you know we don't want to give you a whole lot of direction for 
what you do because we want you thinking about it. We want you to, to do what any professional photographer will do, which is you have a an assignment that's probably not uh, completely worked out, and it's up to you to think about really what, what best quantifies uh, the, the term that you're given. Let me mention too, by the way, that uh, you know, like like Ron said, we are definitely winging it with a show this week. We're, we came up with all kinds of questions, or we're putting it together of how we're going to approach one thing or another. So, um, one thing we don't see the ability to do ourselves is setting up the the actual voting area on Fotrade. So, we're telling you the topic now. It's decay. Most of you will probably know that by Monday night when this show releases. But you may not be able to submit the photos before about Wednesday when Scott's back on the scene. So. So bear with us if there's a little gap in there, but at least you know what the topic is, so start thinking on it. Yep, and uh, by the same token, let's talk about the poll. We took a poll last week. The question was, do you have a dedicated online portfolio blog or a website other than Flickr, Fotrade, et cetera? So something that is, you know, you've put up yourself as a dedicated um, photo portfolio. And uh, the results are fairly split. Uh, 42.9% people said yes. And 57.1 said uh, no. Now, I suspect that uh, most of those people that said no do have some form of online presence, but it's just using one of the standard uh, services like Flickr or Fotrade. And uh, let's do a new poll. We kind of brainstormed about this one as well. And something I've been curious about because, uh, you know, we live in a world where these cameras are changing very rapidly. So this poll, which also may not go up right away, uh, how old is your primary camera? Uh, a lot of us probably have several cameras, but what's your, you know, think about your primary camera, the one you shoot most of your stuff with, and how old is it? The, the potential answers are less than a month, did you just buy it? Less than six months, less than a year, less than two years, or two years or older, and presumably anybody that's still shooting film falls into that two years or older. Uh, I, don't, I guess you can still buy, can you still buy film cameras? Uh, <laughs> probably on eBay. Craigslist, <laughs> yeah. I've got one I need to get rid of. If <laughs> yeah, so do I. I guess we had to clarify too. I was thinking as Ron was reading that that that's how old is it to you? How long have you had it? Not how old is that model necessarily? Because there's some that could be out for a year before you bought it. So it's it's how long right. has it been in your possession as exactly. your primary camera? Yeah. I'm just kind of curious how often people upgrade their gear and you know how how current are you? Do you tend to stay with? with your uh, camera relative to the industry. I mean, I know, you know, anytime a new body comes out, I think we're all in this this uh, sense of, oh, oh, should I upgrade? And, yeah. You know, I, I just upgraded to a 40D less than a year ago, and now the 50D's out. But, uh, you know, that's the nature of the business. So I'm curious how many people out there manage to stay ultra-current versus uh, probably the slightly more sensible thing of, Kind of writing it out a little bit, see how it goes. You know, you know what's funny? Uh, I was having a conversation yesterday uh, at Photoshop World with Chris Orwig. He's a he's a Lynda.com trainer, author, etc. And we were just we we're just talking about photography, and then we got onto the topic of cameras, you know, and sort of what your first camera was, your your first digital camera. And you know what? I I hadn't thought about this until just that moment, but my my first digital camera was the Sony Mavica. You remember those? The oh, uh, the flo- the floppy disk based camera. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like I think it was like 1 megapixel or something. Yep. Yeah, I had yeah. Uh, I had an Olympus. You know, I was. Uh, we can probably all tell the same story. You know, I was in the, in the the mode of well, it's not good enough uh, compared to film. I'm not going to switch over, and yeah. uh, I actually got uh, an Olympus 
as as a gift and you know it was i think it was even less than a megapixel it was you know really low resolution and i still have some of those photos and i look back on them it's just you know massive jpeg artifacts through them <laughs> and everything and just you know horrible chromatic every just you know awful awful yeah. looking stuff and uh, but you know what uh, that's where i sort of realized that even though i wasn't taking great art photos with this camera there's some really great pictures in there in terms of just uh, nostalgia and memories you know mm-hmm. something where i wouldn't have taken i wouldn't have you know spent the money on a film photo of just people sitting around doing stuff you know friends at the bar or whatever and uh but you know it was digital and i was willing to do that and, and in some ways those photos are probably more valuable to me than a lot of the the film pictures i took at the time just because i was willing to shoot random stuff Oh, yeah, I'm thinking about his Mavica reference at the college where I work. I remember having a Apple Quick Take 100, I believe. Yeah, I got to think where that. that where that falls in the yeah. timeline, where that's pre or post Mavica. I think it may predate it. I think it does. Yeah, I think it does. That was that was basically a, a video frame grab camera, wasn't it? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. I think it maxed out at about 640 by 480. I think was the the top yeah. image. You had yeah. to stand really, really still. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. Hey, maybe maybe we'll see Apple throw their hat back into the uh, the digital photography ring. You know, it's been a rumor for a little while, hasn't it? I mean, uh, you know, what's what's the next big thing that Apple is going to decide to get into? And uh, I don't know. I mean, they could, although it's not it's not like the the phone world where you know, as they've said, everybody hated their phone. Uh, yeah. I think a lot of people like their cameras, so I, I think it's going to be a it would be a lot, lot tougher to dive into that world. Yeah. All right, well, real quick before we move on to some listener Q&A, uh, I want to mention our, our Flickr discussion group. We have more than 6,400 members and uh, really great discussions going on, people talking about uh, different photographic techniques and stuff related to, to gear, uh, all that kind of stuff. And then there's also the critique forum, which is specifically set up for people to give feedback to other photographers, to critique their work, um, get some sense of what they, you know, the rest of the community feels they're doing correct or not correct. There are over 3,333. I'm assuming there was exactly three. three it was three, exactly three, that when I put it in. You're right. Put it in there. So <laughs> we're assuming somebody, by the time you hear this, at least one more person has been added. So we'll say that over. 3333 members in the critique forum go check it out it's a very civilized forum don't let the term critique throw you off because it's really people just helping everybody else out yeah good all right let's take some listener q a and fill out the rest of the show with that um rafael otoya says would like some memory card suggestions versus his current Extreme 3 from SanDisk. Um, you know, the, there's, a, there's a lot of factors, I guess, with memory cards, but these days I'm not even sure that speed is all that much of an issue. I know, uh, Aaron, you, you can talk to the uh, Rob yeah. Galbraith. Yeah, I'm going to say, I think we're going to shy away from making recommendations of specific cards because there's so many variables. And an and answer to that uh, is Rob Galbraith's site, which has kind of become the the go-to place on the net now for some you know good solid information about how a given card performs in a given camera, and that that's the nice thing about Rob's site is that they they very frequently will test a tremendous number of new cards, and they will test them in a wide range of different bodies. So when you go on the site, you actually select your camera body, and then it lists the card numbers, you know, or the the read and write times that they've found, and then they list their cr- testing criteria specific to that camera body. So it's an interesting 
appealing to look at because you can you can look at a certain card and then go look at it on two different camera bodies and see how that performance can vary. So you know you can see that yeah. the camera body plays a big role in the process. Yeah, I, I, the point being, I, you know, the bandwidth may be limited by the camera, not by the card. So it right. may just be that at some point buying a a faster card and which is probably a more expensive card isn't going to buy you anything, isn't going to get you anything because your camera can't write to it any faster anyway. Right. Now you can you know make the argument that cameras are only going to get faster as well and so that card may serve you you know two years from now uh, if you buy a faster card but definitely check out you know look around a little bit if there's something where you the problem is i would i would suggest that buying a card uh buying a memory card with the sense that it's going to last you more than a couple years is pretty naive because that same card that cost you 50 bucks today is going to cost you about 12 cents in another two years mm-hmm. so buy for what you've got now for the camera you've got now and don't spend anything extra because you know man i you know I, I mean I, we probably all have done this where you we bought you know when like the two gig and the four gig cards came out and they were not cheap but we wanted to have that storage mm-hmm. and yep. you know how much do they cost now it's practically well where do, you, where do you guys fall on on just just as an adjunct to that topic on sizes for cards because i've heard some people say you know what i will never buy a four gig card because i'm putting too many of my eggs in one basket i'm just going to buy a bunch of cheap two gig cards what do, you, what do you guys do do you shoot with the larger cards or do you do you stick with the smaller you know spread the love cards i stick with I, the smaller cards personally yeah. yeah i i have two two gigs and an eight gig and uh I don't know. Whichever one I've got handy, I toss in there usually. Uh, I've often filled up the two gigs and moved on to the eight. Uh, I don't have a I, personally. I feel like you know you're just trading one risk for another. Yeah, there's a, there's a slight chance that your you know one of your cards might go bad and you would lose everything on it. But you know I've talked to professional photographers and and asked them this exact question and. Uh, I've also gotten the response, well, you know, the the danger of me dropping the card when I'm changing it, you know, dropping the card in the mud is probably a lot more likely that I'll do that than uh, something's going to go wrong with the card itself. So I would rather just have the card in the camera, you know, leave the door closed and and not have to worry about changing cards until I get back out of the field. So, uh, which I think... Yeah, it might might vary and it might be, you know, if I'm a wedding shooter, if I'm out, you know, I have one chance to get the shot, I might be more apt to spread it out over two gig cards because, you know, if you you have a, you know, like an eight gig or six gig or whatever and it fails on you and you've got the the bride, the entire ceremony and all that stuff that's not going to be repeated and you're charging what... You know, five, six, seven, ten thousand dollars for the wedding. You're you're screwed. Yep. Yeah. So it's not a right answer, I guess. I think yeah. it's yep. it is a philosophical question of multiple cards versus one, regardless of size. Because even if you take the multiple card philosophy, you're probably still going to upgrade your card sizes, even if you have multiple cards, as the you know file size and image size and your camera is increasing. So. You know, a four and a couple of two gigs today may end up being a eight and a couple of four gigs later. But you know, it's just a decision of whether you're going with one card or multiple cards. And I'll just mention too that one thing I do: I shoot multiple cards, but also when I have moments at important shoots to step aside, I dump those cards to like an Epson P3000, and then I do not mm. erase the card either. I'll usually leave there with the with the card with the images on it, the P3000 with the images on it. You know, and yeah, and, and I, I think that, that is actually. Probably the more important piece of this is make sure you have yeah. redundant backups. You know, when I'm traveling, yeah. yeah, I will pull stuff off of the cards and try to put it in like two different places if I need to reuse the cards. Uh, if it's getting towards the end of the trip, I won't wipe the card until I absolutely have to, knowing that that's another backup copy of it. You know, that's yeah. that for me is the more important piece of it. 
Right. So, Aaron, right. you've been happy so far with that with that P three thousand, is it, or the P six thousand? It's a P three thousand. I don't think the six is shipping. Oh, wait, no. I guess the new ones were just announced. The five and the seven thousand, I believe, were just announced. Oh, I think okay, they okay. come out later in September. They look to be quite similar, but uh, an improved screen and a little faster. I like it. I mean, it's a nice device. My only complaint, uh, and it's the same complaint I've had with a number of others like it, is that it, it does take a lot longer to dump the images to the internal drive than I would like. You know, I would like a much faster download. I, I still envision somebody making a, uh, a neat little unit like that with a hard drive in it and a card reader that, uh, that the iPhone actually plugs into in the field. So consider it being like a yeah. P3000 based around an iPhone where the iPhone plug-in is even optional. I mean, you can, you can dump everything to it, but you, if you plug the iPhone in, you'd also have editing and a great interface and image uploading from the field and all kinds of things. So. Uh, I think you need just to go get out some venture idea. funding to get that up again. <laughs> Not <laughs> a hardware designer. <laughs> yeah. I've put it out there. Cool. If anybody makes it now, there's you know there's prior concept on record. So. Send us a copy. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. Next question. Uh, this comes from listener David Johnson from Mobile, Alabama. Uh, listening to the last podcast about sensors brought me to a question I've had. I've noticed that a lot of the higher end DSLRs have the ability to shoot in 12 or 14 bit raw color curious what the difference is and wondering what you guys shoot with so uh my camera doesn't let you choose i mean the difference between 12 bit and 14 bit is uh two bits but uh <laughs> thanks ron and next question you no. are brilliant <laughs> you know That's i got awesome. a real technical background and uh a lot of years for me to figure that one out now you know it number of bits is 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 going to let you basically store finer gradations of color. Uh, and for the most part, you're probably not going to see a difference in that. But the real point of shooting at a higher bit depth is when you start to push your images a lot in post-production. So, you know, particularly if you get down to the darks, the shadow areas, and then you decide to boost your image quite a bit, boost up those shadows, the difference between 12-bit and a 14-bit could conceivably show up in those shadows, show up as banding artifacts if you're only shooting 12-bit versus 14-bit. You know, I think, I mean, the bottom line is if you're shooting raw, you kind of want to shoot with, you want to capture as much as you can, right? You want to get every single thing you can get off of that sensor. And I guess the reason why they let you switch over to 12-bit is probably space considerations. And then I don't know, does either of you know if the... um, if you can write faster to the to the memory card if you're shooting 12-bit versus 14-bit? I, I don't know. I haven't done any tests on that. I'm not absolutely it, that, certain that, on them. It depends on the camera body, I'm sure. Yeah, that would be the other potential reason for it if you're really doing something that requires a lot of fast shooting. If you're doing sports photography, uh, you know you have decent lighting. You're not too concerned about tweaking the the color and the brightness of the, the image significantly in post, then uh, if, in fact, shooting 12-bit lets you shoot a little faster, then potentially that's where it makes sense as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Next question. Carl Sanford, what is the normal ratio of keepers versus throwaways? I have a question I'm hoping you will uh, answer. I'm starting to develop some decent intermediate photography skills. But for every 100 photos I take, there may only be 20 that are keepers. Um, I... 20? That's pretty good. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I get about two. It's yeah, a good ratio, one. yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now he's asking, is this normal to, to only have, an, and honestly, you know, what percentage, uh, we should all ask, what, what percentage of the photos do you take that are really worth a public display? Yeah, I, you know, it's, I'll shoot 
uh, you know, I'll take a trip, shoot thousands of photos, and try to pare it down to not more than about fifteen or twenty that I would really put out there and show to people. So I don't know. What do you guys think? I think it depends on what you're shooting. So uh, if you're it, like if you're on a travel thing and you're you're looking for landscape and scenic shots to remember that you are at this point and you're trying to do something dramatic there, then you know it's sort of a, a singular image. But if you're if you're doing something where you're trying to tell a story, you know, and you've got highlights throughout a series of images and the, the images in between just sort of you know tell aspects of the story, then it's a sort of a different mix. So it I think it depends on what you're shooting. Like for me, if I'm shooting, uh, if I'm doing a model shoot. And you know, it's I might shoot who knows thousands of shots. Uh, it might I might have maybe five decent shots for each clothing change out of those thousands of shots, and then those I take and refine. And you know, there might even be a smaller number of those that I feel comfortable showing people. So, you know, depends on where you shoot. Yep, Aaron, you kind of agree yeah i think this is as much a philosophical question as anything else honestly so uh, you know yeah, it, you know the, it I, all I depends know on the circumstances of, yeah. yeah part of what he's yeah. asking is mm-hmm. uh you know he, he mentions that you know he, he he does get a lot of shots that are blurry or the depth of focus is too shallow or too deep or something like that and you know that's certainly that's just part of the learning process and and i don't think you can measure yourself against a number for how many shots you get that are good or not it's uh look at it more as just kind of a learning experience for it it can what come you, back a little bit too to you know with your gear how well can you evaluate the quality of the shot on the camera then and and react to it I mean it gets in the whole issue of whether you should stop and look at every shot you've just taken and analyze it or you know or just go with it and not to look at them until you you know get back to your computer later honestly I'd yeah. say let's just put it out to the listeners too that you know when when this show goes online um, you know hit the comments on the blog and give us your input and we'll increase the you know the sampling size here a bit make this kind of a listener discussion either on the Flickr forums or in the comments on the blog when the show goes out because I think it, it could go well beyond what the three of us have to say here in the show. Yeah. Yep. Sounds good. Uh, I want to take a second here to talk about our wonderful sponsor, Drobo. Uh, Drobo is is awesome. Fred, you're, you're, uh, you've got two Drobos now. Is this true? I, you know, I do. I feel a little decadent, but I do have two Drobos, but uh, there's method to my madness. I have one that I use specifically for my, I call it my Library of Congress main photo library storage, uh, and it's working great for that. So I basically use that as my, the, the overall, everything I've ever shot is on that Drobo, and then my, I have a portable drive that I use to shoot, that I use to put images on and manage a library when I'm in the field, and then I'll just check them into the Library of Congress when I get home in Lightroom. Then I have a second one that I use as a media drive that uh, has all my movies, music, and, you know, iTunes love on that machine, or on that that uh, that unit. So keep the, the two separate, because, of course, photos are the most important, but I like to have that massive storage available for my media as well. So they've been working out great for me. I've had no problems. Um, these are even both the, the older USB units, and they've been uh, performing flawless for me, flawlessly. They've both been on continuously since I bought them. So, you know, about I don't know, maybe two, three months, maybe. They've been on, haven't gone off, and have been green lights all the way. So and this, yeah, that's, that's really the, the beauty of Drobo. Is, I mean, for those of you that aren't regular listeners to the show and haven't heard us talk about exactly what the Drobo is, it's you know, similar to a RAID scenario where you have several drives and kept in a single box, but much smarter in terms of how it uses that sort of striping technology to, to, to build up redundancy. 
And, uh, you know, the bottom, bottom line is that one of your drives can just fail catastrophically and it's not going to lose any data. You can yank it out even while the, the system is running and, and plug a new drive in and it will just heal itself like Wolverine. And uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's good, good stuff. <laughs> Ron, your geek is showing. You yep. can also mix, mix the drive sizes, which is an important difference from RAID as well. It can be different brand drives, different size drives, different speed drives. You can all mix them yeah, exactly. all and, together. And who, who among us doesn't have a bunch of, you know, I know, I know. I have all these drives laying around the house that range in size, and it's just like, what? You know, every time you upgrade, you've got the older one. You don't know what to do with it, and you can yeah. uh, sort of rip it out of the case and toss it into your Drobo. And yeah, I, I'm waiting for Drobo to do like a uh, 24 bay drive so that I can just have everything in there. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm gonna. I may hopefully in the future, in the near future, future pull the trigger and get one of the new FireWire uh, Drobos That's... and use it as a backup to my my image library, so that I'll have two identical. You know, it'll be redundant redundancy. You know, so that'll that'll give me peace of mind. Yeah, a, a, a little tip on 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 sort of choosing the drives to go in there if you're not recycling existing drives and you're going to go out and buy uh, buy some new ones. I mean, Drobo's designed to work with any any you know capacity. Three and a half inch SATA drives made by any company, but you know they're not all the same. And I know Data Robotics, this is the Drobo's parent company, they've tested a bunch of drives, and I think they recommend for the one terabyte drives, they recommend the Western Digital Green Power drives. Um, reason being is that the performance is good, but they're also very very quiet. They're designed to be energy efficient drives, and so they generate small amounts of heat, which consequently means that Drobo's fan, Drobo has an internal fan to keep the drives at uh, operating temperature, but if you have a nice efficient drive like these Western Digital Green Power drives, then the fan will hardly have to do any work to keep uh, keep things going, which means that, you know, it's quieter, which is always yeah. a good thing. So, good, and and I think we have a, this is, this is the part of the show where I don't know exactly what the deal is, but I think that TWIP listeners can still get $25 off a purchase of a Drobo drive. Uh, we will put a link on the show notes, as we always do, to get more details on that. Let us cool. take a couple more quick listener questions. Um, curious about sRGB versus Adobe RGB. Hey, everybody. I'm an Australian private investigator. And then he goes into all kinds of detail about what he does. But we won't go through that. Uh, what are the relative benefits or otherwise of sRGB as opposed to Adobe RGB? I'm a Mac user which currently does not support RAW for the camera he's using, the D700. Um, and, and, and that's really the kind of, the, I wanted to mention that as a key point, because uh, the main difference between, you know, the color space, uh, sRGB versus Adobe RGB, first of all, you don't have to worry about that if you're shooting RAW. Uh, the, you know, RAW will capture everything that the sensor is capable of doing, and so you know you're not going to lose anything. So uh, first recommendation would be, just don't shoot JPEG, and you don't have to think about sRGB versus Adobe RGB. Just shoot yeah. RAW, and you know you'll have everything. And, and then, you know, then the only time you need to worry about your color profile is when you're going out to some other device. But I think, but he's also saying, just to jump in there, Ryan, he's sure. also saying he's, he's using Aperture 2.1.1, which doesn't support the the raw files out of right. the D700. A suggestion might be for him to <laughs> convert. No, no, no. Contrary to what you think, I'm going to say. All right. Might it might be for him to shoot in raw and then use the Adobe uh, DNG converter, which is free, to convert those into DNG format, which Aperture supports. So then he can then import those converted DNG files directly into Aperture and and still have his raw files until they release the update that supports the uh, the D700 raw files natively. An excellent suggestion and. 
and I apologize for thinking that you were going <laughs> to camp life being there. presumptive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. See, I try to keep you guessing. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, no, it's it's a great point, and and again, I you know, I can't recommend enough. Shooting raw is is a preferable way to go, but. If you are forced to shoot uh, JPEG, uh, the main, I mean, the, the whole point of the different color profiles is that you're kind of trading off um, you know, storage space basically for uh, how much information you're keeping. And so sRGB is an older format that was designed to kind of match what uh, you see on the web. So it has some advantages in that it may work better on certain web browsers, but Adobe RGB is a much bigger color space, a much wider gamut, as they say. And, and what that means is that your colors are just going to be more more natural, more true to what was originally uh, in the real world. So it is the preferable way to go, yep. at least for shooting. Uh, let's see. Here's another one. George Masters wants to do macro work with a nautical equipment theme, and he's looking for lighting suggestions. Uh, he's planning to shoot nautical equipment, marionettes, trinkets from secondhand stores, etc., Shooting him in his house, he wants to be able to cut them out in Photoshop, and he just wants some suggestions on what kind of lighting setup would be needed. Anybody? So he's doing. It sounds like he's doing compositing, and he's gonna he's gonna shoot a bunch of random objects and then bring them together on layers in Photoshop. And he wants to know how to bring shoot them initially so that that cutting that that masking process and co- compositing process is easier later. Is that right? It, it sounds like it. I think general suggestions for shooting macro photography as well. And you know, it, I, I think the big issue for this is probably going to be lighting. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Right. This is this is your area, Mr. Uh, digital Imaging Specialist, Ron Brinkman. <laughs> well, it, 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 didn't you write some sort of book on this stuff? <laughs> Indeed. Although I don't, I don't think his question is is related as much to cutting stuff out. Maybe it is, but maybe I'm misinterpreting yeah. it. But I think it's more just generally how does how does you, you know, he want to shoot macro stuff of small items like this and. You know, the tough thing is is trying to get your light in there, especially if you you know you're getting really really close to something because it's very small, and you know a lot of times your camera can shadow the object itself. So I know Aaron, you've you've played with a few different solutions. For I can I throw in a couple suggestions here as I look at his question. Um, if he's doing macro work, I mean, if he's really getting in awfully close on these objects and doing detail shots and so on, that you're absolutely right that a lot of times you will end up you or your camera. You know, will actually shadow the image. Your, your flash, for instance, if you're using, and I don't recommend using the built-in flash anyway in this case, um, will end up getting shadowed by the by the camera itself up that close. So, one thing I've done for a lot of macro work is um, I have a macro flash bracket that I use, and um, I'll I'll send links out to be put in the show notes as well. Uh, that allows you to mount your flash, an external flash, and I think we may have a question a little bit later talking about external flashes, in such a way that it can be pivoted around um, and placed very close to the front of the lens uh, so that you actually illuminate the area that you would otherwise be shadowing. Uh, there's macro ring flashes or something to consider. Canon has a nice one. Uh, it's rather pricey. Uh, Sigma has one as well that I think might be a little less expensive, but you know, I haven't used it firsthand, so I couldn't really comment on compatibility 100%. One other thing I'll throw in, though, too, um, one rather inexpensive way to go, because if he is cutting them out, uh, lighting is critical, too, because if you get nice, even lighting on it, you're going to have a whole lot easier time, you know, 
trimming that out on Photoshop. So uh, one kind of cheap approach to that is to go on eBay and look at all of these light cubes and light tents that are for sale. Um, I have one here yeah. and I've used it quite a bit. They're they're rather inexpensive. They're collapsible. Um, it's just uh, you know it's it's uh, translucent white material usually that that folds out and creates a box and you can buy them in different sizes. I've seen ones big enough for a person to actually stand inside them. And on that basis, you can either use flashes or you can just set up normal. Even in-home lighting, you know, as long as the light's coming through, it diffuses it and presents a very even light all the way around the object, and you just shoot right through the opening uh, at the object. So you want to choose one of those, you know, big enough to encompass the, the types of objects you're shooting. But using one of those, you can end up with very, very, very seamless backgrounds around the image, and, and the trimming you're going to do later in Photoshop is going to be a whole lot easier. Very good. Yeah. All right, gentlemen. I think that's about all the questions we have time for. Uh, let's go ahead and wrap some of this up. You know, next week, uh, Scott will hopefully be back to discuss his trip to Alaska and some interesting situations that I'm sure he managed to get himself into with regards to the bears. <laughs> uh, I don't know what Alex's schedule looks like. He's going to be back or not. And hopefully we can get uh, Steve also to talk a little bit about shooting at the uh, Republican National Convention too. Yep, definitely like some comparative input from Steve from shooting both the DNC and the RNC back-to-back. And I think Alex yep. is in Zimbabwe the next couple of weeks, so it might be a couple of weeks before Alex is back unless he can find some bandwidth there. Very good. Um, should mention that the the blog is still active. Uh, we're still putting some stuff up in there. Scott queued up a few articles that I think Aaron is going to be mm-hmm. posting uh, during the week. So please go check that out. There's still an let's article per day. Mm-hmm. Ah, article a day. Yep. Very good. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's do a tip of the week real quick before we wrap it all up. Frederick. Hey, I'll do that. I'll do it. I'll do it. All right. I've- I've got a pile of tips I've been sitting on and, uh, you know, getting ready over these my like, absence. It sounds painful, yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's why you've been gone a few weeks. <laughs> Can we edit that out? That did not sound right. <laughs> all right, all right, moving right along. I forgot the company that I'm dealing with here. <laughs> yep. um, so I have two tips, actually, and they're both, they're both uh, sort of... Uh, to get you thinking about photography in a different way, and the first is one that we, when I was when I was in the military, we used to you know do these exercises on how to how to basically respect light and understand what's happening. You've been you've grown up with light your entire life, so in many cases you just sort of take it for granted as to what it's doing. Your brain fills in blanks on things that you know it knows how things should be reacting based on where the sun is and we forget what's happening photographically so I would challenge the listeners to take some time out maybe a day and just sort of as you go through your na- your normal day activities look at shadows and not look at don't look at light just look at how shadows are falling you know, look at the long shadows, look at soft shadows, look at hard shadows, and try to understand why they're doing that. For example, if you're outside, it's a bright, sunny day, and there's a crisp shadow of a tree that's falling on the street. Why is that shadow crisp? Is it because the sun is so far away and it's a point light source, or why? Or conversely, on a overcast day, look at the shadow on that same tree. Is it, you know, is it softer and why? So just sort of look at look at the reverse of things. Look at the shadows, and help, that'll help you sort of understand how to take better pictures and understand what light is doing when it in, when it's a certain quality of light, whether it be specular, which is that contrasty point light source, or diffuse, which is a large light source like a gigantic soft box in the sky, which would be an overcast day. So that would be the first one. And the second one, I think we talked about this a while ago on the show, and uh, you know, I, I challenge people to do this all the time, but 
you know, I shoot a lot of people, and again, when I was in the military, we had this exercise in downtown Denver, Colorado, where we had to basically take a film camera, an SLR cam, or yeah, just a regular SLR camera, uh, with one roll of film, one roll of 36 exposure color film, uh, with a 50 millimeter lens, and that's all we had. And we, uh, the the assignment was to go out and get 30 individual head and shoulder portraits. And the purpose of that was to force us to get into the space of strangers. So we actually had to talk to them to get close enough with that 50 to get a shot of them, and we had to be competent enough to get the exposure correct on that shot because we only had a margin of error of six shots that we could you know, mess up on. So you know, at the end of the day, with that role, the people that succeeded you know, they had a new appreciation for how to approach people in the field. And, you know, a lot of people got over a lot of shyness and, you know, got pictures that normally they would just steal with a longer lens. You know, they actually had to establish a relationship with their subject and get the shot. So that was that was the exercise. And I think it's really good for people to, to sort of practice that and, uh, you know, learn how to get into people's spaces and subsequently get that shot. I like it. Maybe this is the use for all those uh, really old uh, 128K compact flashcards or 64K compact flashcards you know, to force you to limit yourself to only taking a certain number of photos and make sure you get the right ones. Yeah, yeah, because in the film days we were. Each, each photo we took you know, was expensive. Be very <laughs> sure that you were going to take the right thing. No, that's great. Very good. Yep. You mix yep. that with very this week's good. challenge, and if you can find 36 people that are decaying, that you can get into their space. You'll have it all covered. Yeah, no more shots, please. please. <laughs> all right, very good, everybody. Uh, Aaron, where can people find you on the web? You can find me at my blog, which is uh, got talk about something that's decaying right now. Uh, halfpress.com, <laughs> H-A-L-F-P-R-S-S.com. And you can also find me on the Twitter under the same name, Half Press. And Frederick? You can find me, of course, I'm a product manager for uh, Lightroom, so you can find me at adobe.com slash Lightroom or find my product there. Uh, but if you want to find me personally, I am at frederickvan.com, also at Twitter uh, with, my, with the same name, Frederick Van. Very good. And uh, my, my blog is digitalcomposting.com. Going once again to the DK theme, I guess. Uh, I just put up, for those of you that are interested in, uh, in animation, I just put up a kind of an interesting blog post talking about some animation related stuff. Uh, and I'm also on the Twitters, Ron Brinkman, Brinkman spelled with two N's at the end. Uh, and of course, everybody should go to twipphoto.com. You can find links on uh, how to find Alex and Scott and Steve and all the regulars there as well. And I think that's it. Until next week, let's, uh, let's take the lens cap off and go shoot some pictures. Thanks, everyone. Good idea. Lovely. Wow. <laughs> nice, Aaron. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> that was a long lens because it yeah. took a long while for your arm to get to the front of it. <laughs> yep, it sure did. I wasn't sure who was going to do it. So.